ever to have any dealings with humanity. We need to be checking our own attitudes as believers this morning as we read in God's Word who Jesus says He is. Because it is very easy for us to get sucked into what the world thinks. Before you know it, you can start thinking that way. So let's see what Jesus says about who He is. We're reading from Luke chapter 12 and I'm reading from verse 49 to 59 this morning. Luke chapter 12 verse 49 to 59. Jesus is speaking. I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happened. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happened. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge stand you over to the, hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. You see, our contemporary portrait of Jesus is very skewed. You heard some of it. Our culture, if they recognize Jesus at all, tends to see him as a man not engaged in confrontation or one who doesn't talk about judgment. He's only a teacher of wisdom. He's only a great prophet. He's only a teller of parables. Jesus was only a teacher of wisdom. He was only here as the ultimate peacemaker who sought peace like Gandhi. He never challenged anyone other than to call for love and tolerance. But is this the real Jesus as described by Scripture? Is this the real Jesus we've met up with as we've been studying through this book of Luke? This is the Jesus we've seen who confronts the religious leadership right in their temple in chapter 4, who fills the people with such rage at his, as his at his claims to Messiah and for pointing out the historical rejection of him even though they had the prophet's writings, that these people try to kill him. Is that a Jesus who's just peaceful? In chapter 6 we saw that he was the one who challenged again the religious authorities 
about their man-made rules which were binding people and blinding them to the truth. So much so that they start to plan to kill him. Is this a Jesus who's just full of peace? In chapter 8 we saw that he was the one who dramatically healed this demoniac who came running out to him. And then the whole village comes out and they reject Jesus and ask him to leave their territory. This is a Jesus who divides people on his account. And today too, as we've seen, people have created this plastic Jesus, made in their own image. A Jesus who does not confront their beliefs. One who is harmless and is in this religious box. And you can haul out this Jesus out of his religious box and dust him off when I need him. And when do I need Jesus? At funerals. When I'm in a crisis. But it's becoming less and less so too. Don't need Jesus. Why do we have this false Jesus? Why does society create this Jesus? It's because people love the middle ground, you see. People don't want to be put in a place where they must make a decision about the truth. People don't want to have to decide when it comes to societal issues what is right and wrong. We'll go with what the rest of society says. We'll keep to the middle ground. Unless it's about Christianity, of course. We don't want to be put into an an uncomfortable place. We want to keep non-confrontational. We want to interpret reality our way. And so Jesus is created into a person who he isn't. And the reality from today's passage is, there is no middle ground Jesus. There is no middle ground between faith and rebellion. Faith in Jesus Christ and rebellion against Jesus Christ. There is no middle ground. Jesus forces people to choose. No, it isn't a gospel of stealth. You don't suddenly become a Christian. You don't know how that happened. You are driven to a point where you have to choose. It's Jesus that I hold to. It's Jesus who will be my saviour or I rebel against them. He is the great divider. And his call right throughout history has sorted through humanity in order to draw some to him while others turn away. He divides. And you might be a believer here today and you're thinking, how does this apply to me? I know all this. Well, have you been drawn into what society is thinking? You need to do a self-check this morning as we go through this passage. We saw last time around this passage the call, are you ready? Jesus Christ is coming. Are you ready? Or have I got a round to it, attitude to my faith? Ah, I'll get round to those disciplines he calls me to one day. Well, Jesus calls you to decide then too, as he does today. Am I your saviour daily? Or can you just choose when you do what you do for me? You see, Christ came again with what purpose? Christ came in this passage with judgment and to be glorified. And so let's see what he says. Quickly in Second Thessalonians 1, verses 7 to 10, this is what he says, his purpose in coming to this earth. Second Thessalonians 1, 
verse 7 to 10, this is what this passage says. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at amongst all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. So Jesus is coming again to bring judgment and to be glorified. Those two things. So let's see what he says. How does he divide men according to this passage this morning? Well firstly if you look in verse 49 he says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I come to cast fire on the earth he says. Now what does fire represent? In our previous studies of Scripture, you would have come across this. Fire represents what? Judgment or purification. So, fire represents God's judgment firstly. His very act of coming as Messiah and now of dying as a sacrifice for sin would bring God's judgment and wrath on those who would not believe. And after His death and resurrection, life could not just carry on as it was before. You see, a momentous change had happened when Christ came to die. A dividing line had been drawn that was clear for all to see. Even the soldier at the cross saw it. Indeed, this was the Son of God. And there would be a sorting into two groups. Those who believe in Jesus and those who reject Him. Those who come to God through Jesus Christ and those who think they can get to Him should they choose in some other way. Judgment would be guaranteed against those who reject Him and mercy would be shown to those who believe Him. Do you see the two groups? Jesus says, I have come to cast fire on the earth. You see, the Old Testament prophecies of judgment have now come to fulfillment in Jesus Christ as He marches resolutely to the cross. The process could not be reversed after this. Judgment was inevitable. I've come to cast fire on the earth. But also, for those who would put their faith in Him, fire was also a symbol of refinement. Christ's coming would refine and purify those who take a stand for Him. And they would be purified through the fire of persecution, through hardship, through martyrdom. Don't we see that in history? Did the Romans bother about Christians before they took a stand for Jesus Christ? Well, yes they did because they were pain. They were always rebellious. And the nation of Israel is known for that, right? Yeah. And the Romans weren't too bothered by them. But when they started taking a stand for, for Christ, when believers started taking a stand, then the Romans took notice. And persecution started. Stephen got martyred. Peter later got crucified. Christians got dragged into the arenas and persecuted. John, 
died, an old man, but he was on the Isle of Patmos. He was put there in isolation. And Paul died for his faith. And many, many more. And many are still dying today for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You just need to look at the martyrs that are dying today and get the news about them. Jesus divides. He brings judgment and he causes refinement on those who take a stand for him. So why does Christ then say, and I long for it to be kindled, verse 49. You see, because at the same time as judgment is guaranteed, his death and his resurrection would set in motion the final part of God's plan for redemption. God's freeing of his people. It was the only way. Once Jesus died on that cross, that process was irreversible. And Jesus knows, I need to get doing what my Father has set for me to do, even though it's hard. And so he longs for this fire to be kindled. And did he know that others would be persecuted later because of him? Yes, he did. But he knew the greater good that would come from it. And so he comes to cast fire on earth. But also, verse 50, he says, I've come to bring mercy. There's a baptism that I need to go through now, a baptism of suffering which will overwhelm. But I will stand victorious, even though I will go through death. And I wish it had happened already. Now here we need to see His mercy, but you need to also see His humanity at the same time. You see, just as Jesus was baptized in that river by John, when He started His ministry, so too Jesus would now go through a baptism of fire to redeem His people, to redeem those who would come to God by faith. And Jesus knows that the firm foundation for the salvation of His people forever would not be complete until the sacrifice was made at Calvary. And that's why He came. Jesus came in order to take on Himself the burden of God's wrath resulting from the sin of people. He came in order to suffer the hell of the agonies of Calvary in their stead. And this physical cruelty, this burden of God's wrath on sin on His shoulders, the separation from His own Father, death itself, all still lay in front of Him. No wonder He says in verse 50, how overwhelmed with anguish I am until it is accomplished. Are you there with Him? Can you see what He's saying? Can you see His humanity in the midst of His divinity? And a little later, after He'd said these words, there we find Him on the Mount of Olives. And He's praying to His Father and he's bowed down because of this overwhelming burden which is on him, which he knows he's going to have to go through. The separation from his father. And scripture records there in Luke chapter 22, he sweat great drops of blood. That's how intense it was. And then when he'd finished praying, the angels needed to come and attend to him. Do you see the intensity? The humanity and the divinity? Was Jesus forced into this? No. He set his face resolutely to the anguish of Calvary. Why? Because of his immeasurable love. Because of that mercy in him for those he would save. His mercy in action, you see. Do you see this coming out of this passage? Do you see the mercy in our Lord, in his words? His voluntary baptism of grief, this distress and anguish, the weight of sin and death, 
paved the way for his mercy and his grace to make a way to God for mankind. A mankind that would be absolutely lost and damned forever without him doing it. So he brings the fire of judgment. He brings the fire of refinement. He brings boundless mercy on his account. And, verse 51 to 53, he directly says it here, I've come to bring division on my account. It's not all about love, you see. It's all about division too, on account of Christ. And he makes use of this paradoxical saying, look at it in verse 53. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother. And so he carries on describing any relationship that there would have been in a family there. He says, do you think I've come to bring peace on earth? You see, that was, that was the overall impression a lot of people had about Jesus, even at that time. And yes, some said, He's going to be our Messiah. He's going to free us from the Romans. And that's, I guess that meant war. But to many of them, they didn't see that in this man. Do you think I've come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, he says, but rather division. But hang on, said the Jews of Jesus' day, and many still do today. You be the one who would take on our enemies and give us back our physical land and bring us peace. No, says Jesus. My kingdom is not of this earth. Rather, I have come to bring division on account of me. But hang on, you might say this morning, didn't Christ bring peace on earth? Every Christmas we get together, isn't that what the angels declared to the shepherds when Christ was born? Is that what the angels said? He brings peace on earth? Well, they did, but we mustn't end there, you see. Let's go and see what it actually did say. What did the angels really say? when Christ was born. This is what they said in Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Listen to the words. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace. That's where we end. What do the angels say? And on, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Do you see? Is God pleased with all men and mankind at Christmas? No. He is pleased with those with whom He is pleased. And whom is He pleased with? Those who put their faith in Him. And so He says, I came to bring division. And yes, I bring peace to mankind, but only to those who accept Me as Lord and Saviour. To the rest, Christ brings a point of division. He brings a decision moment. And He brings judgment. There is no middle ground, you see. It's either accept Him or reject Him as Saviour. And if you reject Jesus Christ as Saviour, then you accept the consequences of judgment that must follow. Not a popular message today. You try preaching that message out in the street. People like to think that they don't have to give any attention to Jesus. And it doesn't matter if I do believe in Jesus or not. One of the couples said that in that video clip. And even if he did live and die, and yes, heaven forbid, even if he did rise from the dead, if you want to believe that, he is the one who's about love, about peace, about fluffy white sheep, the one who is represented by doe-eyed statues and a ring around his head. 
You know, they say, he won't judge me. He'll just love me. I heard this message this week at a funeral. It is the closest I got up and stood up and started another reformation. In a Catholic church, and I'm not damning the Catholic church here, but I am saying something about the priest who could stand up when everyone else was saying what a good drink drunkard this guy was, and then the priest stands up and says, it'll be okay, Jesus loves him, he will forgive him. It's too late. How can a man who is a priest stand up and preach that message? It is an anti-gospel. It is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he is leading people to damnation. He will love you if you bow down to him. He will bring the fire of judgment on you if you won't. In his own words, Christ divides. Have you been sucked into that message? And so Jesus carries on, verse 54 to 59. He says, discern the times and act. Look around you and act, he says to the people who are in front of him, his disciples and the crowds. He says, you are really good at discerning the times. And he uses two illustrations to to describe the consequences of not discerning the truth and making the right decision about Jesus Christ. And he uses two everyday examples. The weather and being dragged off to prison, because many people had to experience that in those days. So what about the weather? He says, you look around at the weather, and you see the wind is coming from the west, and what do you say? It's going to rain today. Hey, we're good at that in Whanganui. Out of my place, I can see the weather coming. I can see when the wind's going to go. And so when I see that the, w- the wind is coming, do I go and put up a nice big gazebo out on my lawn, put everything, all the plastic tables, everything... I'd be silly not to. I can read the signs and I make the right decisions. Well, in Jesus' day it was the same. They knew what the local weather pattern was. They could see if the wind is from here, if there's a dry wind coming from the south, then this and that's going to happen. They could interpret it. And yet Jesus says to them, you do this with the weather and here I am, the Messiah, the Son of God. You've seen me in action. You've seen the miracles I've done. You've seen me raising the dead to life. You've heard the message I've given to you that I am the only way to God and yet you do not come to the right decision. You see, the Jewish nation and many of them would have known the prophetic scriptures. For many years the prophetic scriptures had prophesied about this Messiah. They should have known what God was going to do but their religious leaders led them astray as they do still today. People had seen Jesus in action. They'd heard his clear teaching. But here it is, they chose to ignore him. They'd seen the signs, but they chose to ignore him and not read the spiritual signs. And that is why Jesus says to them, in his very unflattering way, you hypocrites. You can do it with the weather. You see me, but you will not believe. You hypocrites. The unbelief would result in Christ's judgment. And what else did they do? He takes another example of someone who knows that they're in debt. In those days, the bank didn't just say, oh, well, pay us on these terms and we'll extend it. No, no, if you didn't pay what you owed, you got dragged to court, 
The judge would proclaim sentence and you got put in prison until it was paid. That's the way they did it. So he says, if you know that you owe money, would you not, while you're being dragged off to prison, would you not try and negotiate to try and settle this somehow so that you could get family around and please pay this, please pay this, I'm being dragged to prison. Would you not do that? Because he says, once you're in prison, you will be unable to pay the price. Down to the very last lepton, the smallest little Jewish copper coin that Jesus is speaking about. In other words, what he's saying is, you will never repay the debt. So settle out of court before you get dragged into prison. And if you don't, you know what the, the results will be, then you must be stupid. And I'm using a bit of a harsh word here. But it's the same, you see. He says if you know what's going to happen and you don't act on that, then there must be something wrong with you. Yet how come people will do whatever necessary to stay out of prison, but how many people will apply that same concern and diligence to stay out of hell? That's his point. You see, the certainty of condemnation should make a man look to God for mercy before he has to face his inevitable justice. The reality is, to sum it up from James chapter 5, verse 9, the storm of God's wrath is coming and the judge is already standing before the door. He just has to put you in prison. That's the seriousness of it. And that is why I spoke with such passion about the round to it. And our attitudes towards Jesus coming. You see, we need to be ready. We need to be seeing the urgency of the situation and acting on it. And so what's the application of this passage to you and I this morning? Well, there's only one application that I can give to you this morning. I'm sorry. There could be many more if I really tried. But there's only one application from this passage this morning and it's this. Listen to it. Be reconciled to God while there is still time. Be reconciled to God. Have peace made between you and God while you still have time. And if you're a non-Christian here today, I want you to listen to me. You might not hear this message again because you might hear another message which doesn't equate to this and which isn't true. Listen to this message. Jesus Christ will come again with fire. I'm not saying it. He says it. Isaiah chapter 66 was a prophecy which spoke about this time way back in the Old Testament and it still has to happen. This is what it says. Isaiah 66 verse 15 to 16. For behold, the Lord will come in fire and His chariots like the whirlwind to render His anger in fury and His rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment and by his sword with all flesh. And those slain by the Lord shall be many. And they will die eternally in hell. Now, if you're a visitor here today, you've come to a Baptist church. And I don't know if you've... Sometimes they think Baptist churches are just about fire and brimstone. Well, we're not actually, but today we are. You see, this is serious business. Christ will come again. And you need to be ready for his return. And so how can you get ready? Be reconciled to God. In English, repent and turn. Repent from your sins and turn to Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 6, 2 verse says, says this, 
Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Don't leave it till later. Don't leave it till you've sorted your life out. Come to Jesus Christ while there is still time. Someone died this week, unexpectedly. No one was expecting it. A phone call was made, still normal. Next thing, dead. How much time do you have? Repent and turn to Jesus Christ. You see, in a baptism of anguish, Christ took your sin upon Himself. And if you will accept His sacrifice and gift of new life in Him, He will make you new. And you can stand strong in Jesus Christ and receive His life in you. Will you do that this morning? Or will you get round to it one day? And if you're a believer here today, there's application for you and I as well. And there's three parts that I want to speak to you about this morning. The first one is this. And take courage from this. Jesus' mercy will most surely be shown to you. That same book, Isaiah chapter 66. This is what it says. Verse 22 to 23. And the whole book of Isaiah speaks to the nation of Israel and it tells them what will soon happen to them in their history, but it also points to another great coming of the Lord. And this is what he says. For as the new heavens and the new earth that are made shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. And he's speaking there to his faithful nation, those who are faithful in his nation, the nation of Israel. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. Do you note that? All flesh shall come and worship before me, declares the Lord. And so if you're a believer here today, it's not up to you in one sense. It's 100% up to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because He will ensure that you stand there among that great crowd one day, worshipping His name. But it's up to you in another sense, 100%. Because He wants you to work with Him as He makes you holy. But you will stand there one day. You can rest assured in that one. Because Jesus has said so. The prophecies say so as well. His mercy will be shown to you. But in the meantime, and here's the second point, you might have to make a stand for Jesus Christ. In actual fact, that's a wrong statement. It's not you might have to. You will make a stand for Jesus Christ. And that stand for Jesus Christ might mean a declaration of war in your family. And some of you have experienced that already. Your stand for Jesus Christ has alienated you in your whole family. Even among your children. Dad's gone weird. Mum doesn't know what she's talking about anymore. She's been taken in by the zealots. Some sect has swallowed her. As a teenager, your stand for Jesus Christ might alienate you with your friends. You might have to have a whole different set of friends now. You might not get invited to the parties and the social events. You see, your stand for Jesus Christ means war in the eyes of the world. Jesus said so. I've come to bring division. This is what he says, John chapter 15, verse 18 to 19. Listen to him and apply this to your life. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And if you were of this world... 
The world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Do you see how it works? You are no longer of this earth. If God has saved you, you have been given eternal life. You belong to Jesus Christ. The passport you have is the, the Lamb's book of life. You wear His passport, His badge on you now. You belong to Him and He will take you through. You will be with Him forever. But it does mean that you're going to have to take a stand now. And Christ brought the vision on account of Him and He still does so today. And therefore, I plead with you today, count the cost. And once you've counted the cost, then take up your cross and follow Jesus Christ. You see, your standing testimony might bring division, but here it is. It may also lead someone to find grace and mercy as they see you standing. I pray that. I pray that my life would not just bring division. And I've seen that this last week with ex-colleagues. Now that I'm a preacher at a church, they look at me like I've got leprosy. might bring division, but I pray that my stand will lead someone to Jesus Christ. Your stand could lead someone to find Christ's mercy. But there's a third point of application. I spoke to non-Christians this morning and I said, the only way that you can make right with God is to repent from your sin and turn back to Jesus Christ. Well, I want to put that same command to you here. And I plead with you in command form. Repent and turn daily from your sin. You see, has Jesus changed? Can He now tolerate your sin just because you're a believer? No. Look what He went through on your behalf. He went through the agony, through the hell of what happened at Gethsemane. He took on your sins on, on His shoulders. He was separated from His Father on your behalf. Would you now live daily life as if it didn't happen? By just tolerating sin in your life? Or maybe you're here this morning and you're experiencing spiritual dryness. It's like God's not speaking to you anymore. It's like your life is not what it should be with the Lord. I can tell you, I can guarantee it to you this morning, there is sin in your life. Repent and turn back to Jesus Christ. And He will bring back times of refreshment. This is what He promises. Look what Peter says in Acts chapter 3 verse 19, speaking to so many people there. He says, repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Do you, do you yearn for times of refreshment coming from God? Then repent and turn daily. with Him, Because if not, Jesus is the great divider. And He will come into your life as a believer, but He will come not as the Heavenly Father. He will come as the one who has to bring discipline into your life. He will turn, to quote from Scripture, He will turn the ass's head back to Himself. Because He loves you. Because of His great mercy to you. Because He wants to see you with Him in glory one day. He wants to see you to be made like His Son. He will turn you to Himself. But come willingly as a believer and turn and repent.
Will you go another Sunday from this place, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, and let this message just wash away? Or will you act on it? I pray that the Spirit will do His work in every single person here. Do your work, I pray, Lord. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, the world doesn't want to hear this message. They want to believe in Jesus, if they do. One who suits them. But Lord, from your own word we've seen that you, the same Lord, bring judgment and mercy. You bring fire and tears of compassion. Lord, if any here do not know you, I pray that they would turn to you this day while there is still time and find mercy and forgiveness in Christ Jesus. And for those of us who are believers, Lord, soften our hearts. Make us see sin the way you see it. Remind us of what you went through for us on that cross. And may we run back to you and bow at your feet and ask you to forgive us every day. Help us to see you as you really are, Lord Jesus Christ.